This episode is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Check out their cool Highland Cow Slippers. I'm not going to sing Wooly Bully this episode. So check out the uh, really shaggy, cool-looking slippers that they have over there at BunnySlippers.com on the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. Today, we will be diving into the depths of ancient Egypt, talking about Nephren and some talk about Nitocris as well. And a poem that was supposed to be on the show a while back is now back on, even though it was on a live episode. But here we go again. And thank you once again for listening to The People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. This is episode 1, series 11. Ancient Egypt, Nephrim Ka, Nitocris. We have David Heath back talking about stuff, and of course, Ken Height. So, I don't know. Um, buckle your sarcophagus. Anyway, thanks for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can find us everywhere that you find podcasts. Look for us at Stitcher. We're also on Spotify. And look for Black Clock Audio Tales, PGTTCM in social media, and that's where you'll find us. Thank you again, and donate some money to the show, paypal.me slash pgttcm, or you can go to pgttcm.com and learn how to donate there. Thank you again so much, and let's talk to Ken Height about uh, Nephron Ka. All right, I hope I said that right, Ken. Let's go. Hey, everyone. We are back with... Sure. Hey everyone, we are back with Ken Height, and uh, hey Ken, how's how how have you been doing these days? I've been good. I just got back from uh, California, and before that, I just got back from Florida. So I have been under actual God's sunlight instead of the gray, miserable hell that is usually above Chicago in February. Wow. Um, so I lucked out. Good, well planned, Ken. D- d- handshakes all around. What what conventions or what uh, what festivals were those? Uh, there's a uh, uh, game store, an excellent game store called mm-hmm. the Adventure Game Store in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. That brings me down every year, right around the beginning of February, for a store visit uh, mm-hmm. along with other uh, area designers. And Will Hindmarch comes down sometimes. Darcy Ross, uh, Hal Mangold. So it's sort of a a gathering of uh, designers, and then we put on an event in the store that is a workshop, and it's a Q&A, and it's Ooh. how do you get my game started, and what do I do? And uh-huh. so it's it's really focused, and it's really great, and uh, Adventure Game uh, Store does that. Uh, Brian Dalrymple, the guy who runs it, puts it together. It's it's a terrific thing. And did I mention it's in Fort Lauderdale in February? Yeah. So well worth going to for me. Uh, and then uh, after that, there is the brand new first, and one hopes first of many. Uh-huh. Uh, Proto Spiels in Sarasota, Florida, at cool. the Ringling College of Art and Design. Uh, that is, uh, they, they 
uh, game design amongst the other narrative pro studies programs there, uh, both computer games and uh, tabletop games. And this is the first protospiel they've run for tabletop designers to come out, show off new things, and then also other designers sort of seminars and um, panels. And again, I was down there uh, with Will Hindmarch, Darcy Ross, Jason Morningstar, Banana Chan uh, for Tessa, uh, just a bunch of great designers. Uh, you know, Metatopia in the Sun, uh, I guess you'd call it. And uh, we had a good time and it was a really good show. And that was like the weekend of the 8th, I'll say, of, of February. And they'll be doing that, I'm sure, year and year. So go to the Ringling College website if you are in Florida or in February and show off your game design. Nice. Or just see me because God willing, I'll be back. Yeah. Um, and then the last convention was Dundercon in California where I go every year because, again, February. So that's in uh, that was, this is its last year in San Ramon. Next year it moves to Santa Clara, so it'll be a little more accessible for Bay Area types. Cool. Uh, or if you are not even a Bay Area type, you can fly into San Jose and it'll be over. It'll be great fun. So um, Dundercon is the oldest uh, D and D convention in America. I think it's the same age as GothCon in Sweden. So it's uh, coeval with the oldest in the world, cool. and it uh, has been a straight up tabletop role-playing focused convention forever and i go out there and i do a long-running panel on city creation and city design and i do a long-running pastries and it's good fun for everyone and again sunlight so all of that puts me in a, a, a tip-top mood uh, as does getting to come home and see my lovely wife and lovely cat uh who have missed me uh while they've been here in the in the miserable cold nice i mean nice that you got to get out to the warm and everything but yes uh, it is it is very nice that i got to go out cool and, and it's nice that uh sheila didn't change the locks on me and make me stay out in the in the in the winter yeah yeah that's also so i also know that you have a extended kickstarter going on for uh lovecraftian no no it is uh what's it called uh it's uh tour to lovecraft the destinations it's the second volume of my tour to lovecraft series focusing on the places in Lovecraft's fiction, which no one really seems to have written a book about, so I did. Uh, and what we did, we ran the Kickstarter back in 2017, and then I had to design vampires for a year, so that put the book off, but now the book is done, and you can, if you're listening to this right now, uh, in February of 2020, you can go to atomicovermind.com and get onto the back end of the Kickstarter and join it late at almost the same low rates you could have joined it for back in 2017. Ooh. And then you'll be uh, put into the backer kit and uh, you'll get the advanced shipping and everything else, just as though you'd backed it uh, three years ago, two and a half years ago. Let's be fair to me. <laughs> okay. All right. So I, you know, I didn't just ask you to come on to talk about your recent travel plans and uh, although that was riveting wasn't it oh, wasn't yeah. that great stuff that was oh, yeah. top-notch content <laughs> hashtag I, I i did i did want to talk to you about uh we're getting to that point in the cthulhu mythos timeline that we're getting to ancient egypt and i wanted to ask you about nephren ka did i say that right that time you did you got it right oh, good cool. for you all right uh and it, you're you're my go-to guy when it comes to the Cthulhu mythos and uh, uh, that so kind of sweet. stuff. Well, hey, yeah. <laughs> and I, what, what can you tell us about Nefren Ka? Well, we learn Nefren Ka's name in uh, The Outsider uh, when um, uh, the titular outsider uh, realizes that he has to 
He will have to remain an outsider and uh, frolic amongst the catacombs of Nefren Ka in the sealed and unknown Valley of Hadoth by the Nile. Ooh. And that's what our buddy, the outsider, shares with us because it turns out he was a ghoul. He was a monster. He was not just a dude. And uh, he is um, able to join that uh, hellish court um, and uh, the unnamed feasts of Nitocris beneath the Great Pyramid is another uh, person that he gets to hang out with. So we know that ne Nefren Ka is uh, an Egyptian figure from that. Mm -hmm. And we know that uh, he has got something to do with the sealed and unknown Valley of Hadoth. We know that he's in some catacombs. That's what we know as of the outsider. And then we learn that our boy uh, Nefren Ka shows up in um, uh, the uh, case of Charles Dexter Ward as a uh, as sort of a ceremonial uh, closing mm -hmm. where uh, Kerwin signs off with signs off with Nefren Ka Nai Hadoth, sort of a you know um, uh, as though you if you were a, a devout Christian you'd sign off with Christ is living or if you were a <laughs> yeah. devout Cthulhuist you'd sign off with Cthulhu Fatan. Mm -hmm. So it's apparently a, a sort of a, you know, a, a, a expression. And again, we know that uh, Kerwin is is very involved with digging up dead people. So we have our another ghoul connection there, possibly. And then uh, Nefren Ka takes sort of a a, uh, a, a turn. And we learn that um, uh, in Haunter of the Dark, he was a pharaoh. Uh, and he built around this uh, shining trapezohedron a temple with a windowless crypt and did that which caused his name to be stricken from all monuments and records. And then it slept in the ruins of that evil fane, which the priests and the new pharaoh had destroyed. And so we assume that the fane was perhaps in Hadoth, where our boy Nefren Ka is still lurking in his catacombs. Um, because uh, uh, in the Haunter of the Dark, we learned that Enoch Bowen goes out and digs it up from a mysterious place by the Nile, which we very much suspect is Hadoth. Mm -hmm. and uh, brings it back. And that's the story of Nefren Ka. And then it gets uh, even more exciting, uh, depending on um, uh, whether or not we consider Robert Block a uh, canonical source on uh, Nefren Ka or not. But he is the next guy that uh, that goes after him. All right. And uh, what does Block have to say about Nefren Ka? Block, uh, and Lovecraft does not say this in so many words, but Block identifies Nefren Ka as the pharaoh that uh, was um, uh, uh, either possessed by or an avatar of Nirlathotep. Uh -huh. uh, in The Fane of the Black Pharaoh, um, uh, Block describes Nefren Ka as a pharaoh of no known dynasty, a priestly usurper. And then we know from uh, Lovecraft that at one time, uh, the mighty messenger uh, did in antique and shadowy chem take the form of man. Hmm. And so we know that Nirlathotep took the form of a human being in ancient Egypt, but it is not specifically that he took the form of Nefren Ka, but he might have. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so that's what we learned. And then um, uh, uh, Block goes sort of on and on in, in more detail about uh, the sort of Egyptian mythos because Block thought, uh, the Egyptian mythos was cool, and uh, but most of his Nefren Ka information shows up in uh, The Fane of the Black Pharaoh, which was written in 1937, okay. and may or may not have been written in... He may or may not have been able to show Lovecraft the manuscript. We know that it comes out 
uh, in just as Lovecraft uh, it dies, basically, in, in weird tales, mm -hmm. but we don't know how early Block wrote it and whether or not he sent it to him. There's no correspondence that says uh, that Lovecraft saw it or didn't see it, so we don't know. Okay. Uh, did Lynn Carter or... Uh, did, did oh, Yeah, Lynn Carter or uh, August Derleth uh, get their hands on it or get weird with it in any way? Or <laughs> um, It would not amaze me to find that Nefrenkash shows up in their various uh, catalogs of stuff. I don't think that they became central characters of anything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, although it would not amaze me. Uh, it looks like there is a, uh, a story called The Strange Doom of Enos Harker and Carter and Robert Price. And that was a Lynn Carter project that Robert Price finished, or how exactly that works. Huh, okay. um, <laughs> that is also apparently a, a, um, a Nefren Kass sighting. All right. If you will. But by then, I think that the the blood is mighty thin. The, the ichor is yeah. getting pretty watery <clears throat> at that level. Yeah, no, it's. I think you're just getting um, the essence of uh, Nefren Ka at that point. Yeah, and then he shows up in um, uh, in uh, Call of Cthulhu scenarios, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. where Keith Herbert introduces him as as the head of the uh, Brotherhood of the Black Pharaoh, implying that Nilothotep uh, uh, reincarnates over time in that same avatar form. Gotcha. But that's that's game uh, material, and you might even consider that even more dubious than a Lynn Carter story. <laughs> but more widely read. <laughs> more widely read, certainly. And certainly better written. Sure. <laughs> because it's by Keith Herbert. Yeah. But uh, but but the game is, is doing different things than fiction does. And sure. so to judge them on the same standards is, uh, well, it's 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 bootless. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do any, it, it accomplishes nothing. But if you're talking about the pure quill, uh, Nefren Ka, we know Lovecraft and uh, arguably Block on the grounds that Block might have shown Nefren Ka uh, his story uh, to Lovecraft or they discussed obviously Nerothotep a great deal in the in the letters. Mm -hmm. You know okay. that. All right, cool. And honestly, that's that's all I got for Nefren Ka. <laughs> well, I mean, the fun thing once you have a pretend pharaoh, you get to assign him a pretend timeline. Oh yeah. And you and you start looking for when exactly is Nefren Ka right? Okay. So we know that he has to be at least the same time as the Minoan fishermen who haul up the trapezohedron from the ocean bottom because they sell it to him, mm -hmm. right? It goes, uh, it, it's, the serpent men have it in Volusia. Volusia sinks and becomes the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. The Minoan fishermen pull it up. They sell it to the Egyptians. So we know that he must be a Middle Kingdom pharaoh because that's when the Minoans are running around. Sure. Um, block says that fables placed his reign in almost biblical, which either means just before, uh, during the Hyksos era, or just after the end of Bible times in like the 7th or 8th century BC. Okay. Um, and so I think, though, that the uh, the sort of uh, may, the uh, clinching detail comes from the fact that in Shadow Out of Time, uh, our buddy Peasley speaks... Uh, to a uh, Egyptian named Kefnes of the 14th dynasty, mm -hmm. and Kefnes reveals the hideous secret of Nirlathotep to Peasley. And what? Who better to be in a position to reveal the hideous secret of Nirlathotep uh, than a guy who's around during Nefer 
friend Kaz ran, right? Okay, yeah. Doesn't that make sense? Makes a lot of sense to me. So the 14th Dynasty, we're happy to know, has um, uh, a bunch of total chaos. It's an era of uh, uh, when Egypt has basically been invaded by the Hyksos. Uh, there's a bunch of sort of pharaohs uh, showing up and leaving no records themselves. Uh, we have lots of and empty chaotic space in which to put Nefren Ka. Mm -hmm. And there is at least one pharaoh named Apep, who is named literally after the giant chaos serpent that wars against um, uh, Ra. Okay. So we know that worshiping evil gods is a thing in the 14th dynasty. Um, we know that there's a pharaoh named Apep, which is a bad sign mm -hmm. all the way around. And then in the 15th dynasty, right after it, we have another pharaoh, not just another pharaoh, Apep, but we also have a pharaoh named, named Neb-Kepesh-Ra, which is not that far from Nefrenka, mm -hmm. and that he worshipped Set, who we all remember from Conan as being no good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, the sad the sad part of this is that the Libyan people uh, considered Apep and Set their gods, and one of the reasons Set is seen as a tricky bad god is he's the god of foreigners. Okay who are up to no good traditionally. And so when the Hyksos invade, they sort of appoint the gods of foreigners as their own gods a lot. And so uh, there are periods when Set is being worshipped straight up like he was, you know, Thoth or somebody. Mm -hmm. And it's just because, well, we're foreigners, we're in charge, therefore our god is in charge. You say our god is Set, boom, there we go. And that's the sort of boring Egypt logical explanation of it. But okay. if we've got a series of gods worshiping chaos serpents and set. Mm -hmm. I don't think that a God that worships near Lathotep, the blind ape of truth uh -huh. is too far out of the world there. Yeah. I think that we got something going on. So I think 14th dynasty is, is your, is your gold mine for our buddy Nefren Ka. All right. So we know who, and we know where sounds pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, if you care, his name uh, means Nefer, which is good or beautiful, uh -huh. Ren, which is his true name, Ka, spirit, which argues that his true name is a beautiful spirit, right? Uh -huh. But you don't know it, which implies it's another implication that his true name is Nirathotep. Gotcha. So uh, that's what Nefren Ka means. Of course, Lovecraft would have gotten that by accident, not on purpose. <laughs> yeah. um, and other people argue that uh, Nefren doesn't come from Nefer, but from Nef, which means great lady, and that Nefren Ka was a girl. Okay. So if you want a female pharaoh a la Hatshepsut, and female pharaohs did traditionally get their names stricken from all monuments and records, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is a thing that happened to many pharaohs, not just Nefren Ka. It happened to Akhenaten. It happened to Hatshepsut. It happened to other pharaohs who were on the outs with their immediate successor. Mm -hmm. So it's not exclusive sign of near Lathotepping. But there we are. That's Nefren Ka. That's what we know. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ken, for uh, information on Nefren Ka. And again, uh, in the show notes, I will have information on how you can find Ken's Kickstarter. Thank you in... again, Ken. Right. No, thanks a lot, man. Yeah. All right. Okay. I could have gone on even longer. Thanks again to Ken. And also check the show notes. For that uh, Kickstarter we're talking about, it should still be going on by the time this episode airs originally. And now it's that time for Dave's Corner of the Internet, where David Heath talks to us about whatever it is that we're talking about. So, 
We don't have any official music, but you should check out Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, which appears on this podcast stream every Thursday. So check that out, or whenever I get an episode edited together for Dave. So check that out. All right, thank you so much, and we will now be listening to Dave talk. Okay, here we go. My name is David Heath, and I write a blog called Dave's Corner of the Universe. When the call went out for someone to talk about Egypt, I quickly jumped on the offer, um, and I wanted to talk about Nidicris, the Queen of the Ghouls. Before I talk about who she was, let me tell you first how I came across her. And in truth, you know, I knew who she was, I knew the name, I think I even knew the story. But my first real experience with her would have been in a Call of Cthulhu module, uh, almost campaign setting, it was called The Unseen Masters. It was set in modern time, it was three different adventures, and the final one was called Coming of Age. And in reality, it was more of a campaign setting idea than a a traditional adventure. As I remember, it took up about half this 200-page book. It was a good bulk of it and had a lot of history. And one of the main characters was Nidicris, the Queen of the Ghouls. And she was one of these unseen masters who manipulates things from afar. And sometimes, and I'm not going to spoil it, sometimes she's actually in the player's face manipulating things. But that was my first experience with her. And so I kind of ranked her up there with sort of some form of Illuminati or cabal or conspiracy. So in truth, any time I did a role-playing game that I had some sort of world-spanning conspiracy or magic cabal, you know, I put Nidicris in there. Um, So that was my first really experience deep diving, sort of immersing myself in in Nidicris' world, I have, of course, read her name in Lovecraft stories, and they were just sort of throwaway statements, I think. At least that's how I looked at them at the time. Uh, But let me go ahead and sort of explain her story. Uh, Nidicris, first of all, probably wasn't real. Even though historians like Herodotus and Josephus say she was, she probably wasn't. Most scholars think that it was actually a typo or a separation. She's supposed a uh, separation of page incorrectly. She was supposed to be the last pharaoh of the sixth Egyptian dynasty. And what people think now is that it was actually a pharaoh, a male pharaoh with a long name, and the rest of the name was cut off for some reason, and it was shortened to Nidicris, who is a female name, and so this story grew up around her. So the story goes that Nidicris was queen of Egypt, and she was married to her brother, um, who was king, as they did in, you know, the ancient Egyptian empire. And this was more than just sort of a political ring. She really, really loved her husband. And they were 
more figureheads than anything else. It really, there was a group of counselors and advisors that actually ruled the empire, the kingdom, and the day-to-day, and they were just figureheads. And the story goes that the king made a mistake or something and did something in a war that really bothered the advisors, so they had him killed. And this upset Nitocris, but she couldn't show it, that she knew that if the advisors found out that she was upset or plotting revenge, they would have killed her. So what she does is she gets her her slaves and her engineers, and she builds a tunnel underneath the Nile. And under the Nile, she builds this huge banquet room and throws this big party, this big banquet for all her advisors. Now, they're suspicious, but they go anyways. And once they're there, she locks them in, and she releases the floodgates, and the Nile floods them out. Now, Nidacris, she knows that her her time is up. She knows that, you know, the supporters of the advisors and the counselors, they're all going to go after her. So she locks herself in this underground room and starts a fire, and it sucks all the air out, so she dies rather peacefully, as opposed to, you know, being tortured and killed. And that's the story of, you know, Nidacris, the, uh, the queen of the Queen of Egypt, the last of the Sixth Dynasty pharaohs. And more than likely, maybe there's some truth somewhere in that story, but more than likely, it's a myth. Now, in Lovecraft, Nidacris shows up in the story that he ghost wrote for Harry Houdini, uh, Under the Pyramids or Imprisoned with the Pharaohs. Uh, it goes by both names, it's been published under both names, but it's, it's basically the same story. It's credited to Harry Houdini, who might have come up with the idea, might have added a few personal stories, like when he was in Egypt, but it, it's Lovecraft. And Houdini was happy with it, Lovecraft was happy with it, because he got paid. In fact, he lost the original manuscript, so he spends his honeymoon reciting it to Sonia Green, who typed up, you know, the version we have now on their honeymoon because he he lost the uh, the original version that it was uh, the deadline for uh, on a train. So in that story, uh, Lovecraft has Houdini quote Thomas More about uh, Nitocris. And uh, the subterranean nymph that dwells amid the sunless gems and glories hid, the Lady of the Pyramid. Now, let's be honest. Lovecraft really doesn't do women justice in his stories. I think even his most ardent defenders are going to agree with that. So, Nitocris in this, when they finally see it, or Houdini character sees it, you know, she's beautiful in profile, but then she turns her face, and and the whole other side, of, you know, when she turns, the whole other side of her face is all eaten by rats and skull, and that's actually a rather horrific vision of this beautiful woman becoming this monster just by turning her head. Now, the reason that Nitocris becomes so important to Lovecraft 
is because in October 1919, he met one of his heroes who talked about Metacris, and that was Edward Plunkett, the 18th Baron of Dunzany. So Lord Dunzany was everything Lovecraft wasn't, a successful, rich writer, sophisticated English, everything that Lovecraft wanted but wasn't. And so he was so excited that he was going to go to uh, where the Lord Dunzany was talking and he could actually hear his idol talk. To Lovecraft, this was a life-changing event. To Lord Dunzany, it was basically Thursday. Nowhere in his private writings is there anything that mentions that he talked to Lovecraft or Lovecraft was stood out to him. Several other people that he met including members of the Amateur uh, Writing Association and that he would donate things to them. So it was an event, and he definitely recorded some things in his personal journals, but nothing about meeting anybody under the, that looked like or described like Lovecraft. Now, Lovecraft, however, was absolutely impressed by this. And so that's one of the reasons why I think he uses Nidicris in his story. But Lovecraft wasn't the only writer to sort of be influenced by this story. In 1927, Weird Tales published is a, a story about Nidicris written by Thomas Laner Williams III. Now, you're going to know him better by his later pen name, Tennessee Williams, the man who wrote A Streetcar Named Desire, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. He wrote uh, a short story called Nidicris's Revenge. And I've read it, and it's everything you would expect from a 16-year-old who would later become a titan in the English language. But he was still 16 years old, and, you know... So it, it's definitely a 16-year-old boy's story, but it's, it's, it shows you that he's got potential. Now, this was, as far as I know, the only weird tale that Tennessee Williams published. He wrote a couple more, I understand, but never went any farther. So, absolutely, he is a great American playwright, a great American dramatist. But part of me wonders, what if he had stayed on the pulp? Could he have been maybe another uh, Isaac Asimov or Ray Bradbury? Um, I really would like to have seen more pulp writing from Tennessee Williams. Uh, strange trivia fact, too, that the weird tales that it was published in, the cover story for that month, was the first of Robert E. Howard's Solomon Kane stories. Uh, Robert E. Howard, of course, is most famous for creating Conan, but he also wrote the story about this Puritan adventure uh, called Solomon Kane, and it appeared. His first story appeared on the same volume of Weird Tales that 
uh, Tennessee Williams story did. So, there we have it. From queen to legend to role-playing game NPC to queen of the ghouls to revenge story written by a 16-year-old genius. There we have Queen Nitocris. Uh, my name is David, and you can find me uh, both at my uh, blog, Dave's Corner of the Universe, but also on my new podcast, Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. See you there. All right, here we are finally with Nitocris by Ashley Diosis who you can find her book in the show notes and probably see her around every early October, first weekend of October at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. That's that's where I run into her at. All right. Thank you so much. And here we go. Nitto Chris by Ashley Diosis. Beneath the yawning gateways underneath the last third pyramid, the ghoul queen sleeps within the vast, nethermost onyx temple in the void below. She sleeps amid rich gems, untouched by sunlight's glow, and with the mummies that are neither man nor beast. Still living, she was buried for a deadly feast. Some shunned her pyramid beneath Egyptian moons. Queen Nitocris was a legend amid the desert dunes. The great sixth dynasty portrayed a nymph in youth. How easily she lured her foes in peace and truth. She offered them unto the Nile and drowned them all by throwing wide the water gates in Temple Hall. Her cachinnation echoed still as she was thrown into her grand sarcophagus of golden stone. She lies there with him of the Sphinx as tales were told. He of the second pyramid, Catherine of old. So far beneath the ground he wed the ghoulish queen, and with her ruled over the mummies vaguely seen. The horrors Egypt hides endure in olden tombs, where phantom priest processions still disperse the fumes of richest resins as they offer up their gods unspeakable dread sacrifice impaled on rods. The mummies without souls and hordes of devil cursed, pharaonic dead and restless cause, no wicked thirst, amid the onyx darkness of the queen and king. The queen awaits whatever desert sands may bring. The stone colossi marched an endless night in drove, the herds of grinning androphinxes down a cove, to shores of stagnant rivers, black as pitch and cold. It was her necromancy that called through the holes to lure the dead and servants there so she could steal the spirits out of victims lost and make them kneel before her as sweet sacrifices or new slaves. Each new offering would fall into their graves if they should merely glimpse her visage for the fools would see her face was gnawed by rats and starving ghouls. After H.P. Lovecraft's Under the Pyramids. 
Thanks everyone for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. This has been Episode 1, Series 11, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Check us out at pgttcm.com and find out what we have to offer, what stuff we have in our store, episodes that you haven't heard, shows that you haven't listened to, cool stuff like that. And of course, you can help keep the lights on, help us update our equipment, which breaks from time to time from when we move from studio to studio or just through wear and tear. And you can do that by going to pgttcm.com, of course, and donate there. Or you can go to paypal.me slash pgttcm. If you don't want to do that and you just want to help out the show in other ways, you can always tell your friends about it. Rate, review, and subscribe on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, any of that stuff, since we are there now. All right. Thank you again so much. Uh, new episode next month. If you want to hear these episodes on a bi-weekly basis, I can try and do that. But I need a little bit of money to do that just because of the fact that, I don't know, it's, you know, takes time to do all this stuff. And thank you again so much. Thank you for listening. And have a good day. Thanks to thanks to Ken Height. Thanks to Ashley Diosis. Thanks to David Heath. Thanks everyone who listens. You're great. All of our listeners overseas. All of our troops overseas who are listening. I support you. Everyone who's out there who listens to the show. Thank you for listening. All the bots out there that keep my numbers boosted. Good job. <laughs> and uh, uh, most of all, thank you to everyone out there who tells other people about it or asks for stickers or any of that stuff. And if you want any of that stuff, just message me and I'll make it happen. Thank you again. And stay squiggly and keep it weird. All right. No, no. Keep it weird and stay squiggly? No. Keep it squiggly and stay weird. It's one of those. <laughs>